You, you guys look really good. <laughs> it is nice to see an auditorium full of people and you out in the fellowship hall. And uh, what a blessing uh, to be here this morning. I want you to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. The purpose of preaching is not to make us feel good, though it often does. The purpose of preaching is not for intellectual stimulus, although it often accomplishes that as well. I believe there's two purposes in preaching. Number one is to bring honor and glory to Christ. And I trust that this message will do that this morning. But secondly, the purpose of preaching is to confront us with truth. Because for the most part in our world, we don't hear truth. And if we don't know truth, we are in dire trouble. As truth corrects us, it adjusts us, it redirects us, it, the word of God convicts our hearts if we allow it to. Now you could tune me out this morning and that's probably fairly easy to do, I'll admit that. But you can also allow truth to penetrate your heart this morning. Admittedly, some passages are easier to preach than others. They're joyful, they're uplifting, but others such as the one before us this morning are, are much harder as they cause us to reflect where sometimes we may not wish to reflect. But even after saying that, we have a fascinating passage before us this morning. The church has been growing in Acts. The significance of the situation in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes upon the church you have your Bibles open Acts chapter 2. Look with me at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. As we found out two weeks ago, we find Peter and John, as well as the people here, full of the Spirit. I believe that we discovered there, there's not any lack in the true believer. There's nothing lacking within the true believer. The Christian has every advantage in the Christian life. In fact, the believer in Christ has more advantage than Moses and David. In Daniel, none of these men live with the consistent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would come upon the Old Testament believer and at some point would leave that believer. But not so with the believer since New Testament times. Who possesses the continuous indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The danger for the Christian is not having a need of something. The danger for the Christian is to suppress or resist the very presence of the Holy Spirit that is already within him. And therefore, the challenge for the Christian is to live with a spirit character within our homes, in our churches, in our communities. So now we have the early church, as Peter proclaims in Acts chapter 2, verse 21. 
Believers are coming together. People are being saved. People are calling on the name of the Lord. There's a sincere caring for one another. People are thriving under the direction and the filling of the Holy Spirit. The culture is being influenced. The culture is not influencing the church. The church is influencing the culture. There's an excitement about church life. There's an excitement as each family drives to church, thinking, I wonder who's going to get baptized this week. I wonder who's going to be saved this Sunday morning. This church had to have been called the first associate gospel church of Jerusalem, right? It's got to be the first AGC church. Or, or maybe best spirit-filled church ever. I don't know. But when you came into that town as a Christian, or you moved into that town, or you were visiting Jerusalem, you had to go to this church. This is where you wanted to go. I mean, Bible-believing Christians would love this church. And to top it off, who's their two lead pastors? <laughs> the Apostle Peter and the Apostle John. That would be exciting, wouldn't it? Look with me at chapter 4, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So we have this perfect church. Excitement every Sunday morning. Nick, the youth ministry is absolutely booming. They keep having to schedule baptismal services. People become members on a weekly basis. Money is coming in. People are sharing with each other. A man in chapter 4 by the name of Barnabas sells some land and he gives all the money to the church. It couldn't have been a better place. It couldn't have been a better situation. But, but, look with me at Acts chapter 5 verse 1. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and he brought only a part of it and laid it at the disciples' feet. Where did that come from? Amongst all this care, collecting for people and concern for people and the sharing with one another and the close, intimate relationships with the church family. And now, a gentleman and his wife have thoughts of money and things. We're confronted here with the first real negative information in Acts about the church. And don't you hate this in Scripture? <laughs> Why does it always have to be so honest, right? It's like reading the stories to our kids about King David and how God called him as king. And though he was so mistreated by Saul, he acts so honorable to Saul. And the Lord makes this wonderful covenant and promise to David. And we have this biblical hero that we want to teach about our children. But he lusts after Bathsheba. He has Uriah killed. And then he takes Bathsheba as his wife. Where did that come from? Nathan the prophet confronts David and says, David, why did you despise the word of the Lord? 
And in this wonderful story of David's life, sin rears its ugly head. And in our story this morning, this wonderful, wonderful account and excitement of this church, sin rears its ugly head. And notice the response from Pastor Peter, which is our question from our passage this morning in verse 3. Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? It becomes very apparent in this story that this is not an unintentional sin. This is not a mistake. This is not just a lack of wisdom by this couple This is not a result of what we might describe of, just maybe a little bit Christian immaturity. No, this is an obvious sin in the story. And it's a direct action against the Holy Spirit. Ananias may have seen the action by Barnabas and some of the other believers in chapter 4. And so they sell their land and they claim to give it all to ministry and yet they hold some back. Maybe they sold the land for, in our day and age, $15,000 And they bring $10,000 to the church. There's nothing wrong with holding anything back. This passage makes it very clear. They were free to do with the money whatever they chose to do with the money. The sin is in the lie. The sin is in the hypocrisy of claiming to do something or claiming to be something that they were not. So Peter confronts Ananias, who was likely asked if this is what he'd received for the field. Ananias, you gave this church, this gift to the church of $10,000? Yeah, yeah. Was that what you received for the land, Ananias? Yeah, Peter, that's that's what we received. We were hoping maybe to get a little bit more for it, but boy, it was so nice to at least to be able to get the $10,000. and, and Peter, what a blessing to be able to bring this money and give it to you in the, in the congregation of the church. And he drops dead. This is not a sudden lie by Ananias. This is not something where he would go, wait a minute, Peter. <laughs> I lied. I'm going to correct my statement here. No, this is something Ananias and Sapphira had already agreed to beforehand. Well, the young guys in the church that Sunday morning begin to dig a grave for dead Ananias. Obviously, Sapphire was coming for the second service. Maybe it was still COVID time. And she shows up three hours later. She may not have, she didn't know she was coming for a funeral service, and it's her own husband's. She likely didn't even have an opportunity to, to write out a eulogy or pick out the hymns for his service. She didn't know her husband was dead. Peter says, Sapphira, you sold that field for $10,000 and you gave it all to the church? Yeah, Peter, man, it was a sacrifice, boy. It was a great stretch for us, but you know what? The Lord's been good to us and we thought we would bless the church. And she immediately drops dead. There's much speculation in this story whether Ananias and Sapphira were true believers. After all, how could they do such a thing? I would submit to you that they are believers. Acts chapter 2, verse 4, they were all filled with the Spirit. Acts chapter 4, verse 31, they were all filled with the Spirit. Acts chapter 4, 32, 
they were a congregation who believed. This would be a strange way in which to describe their actions if they were unbelievers, that they lied to the Holy Spirit. I believe the unbeliever who does not possess the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, an unbeliever might choose to sin against his own convictions or he might choose to sin against his conscience or choose to sin of something maybe he grew up believing is right and he chooses wrong. But this passage makes it clear that they chose to sin against the Holy Spirit, the indwelling Spirit. So I would suggest they are believers indwelled by the Spirit of God. And we could say that they did the ultimate resisting, which we talked about two weeks ago, of the Spirit here in this story. But it's no different than what you and I do when we sin against the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And what else is interesting in this story is that, yes, Peter confronts the sin in both of them. Look with me at Acts chapter 5, verse 3. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit, to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. And then Peter also confronts Sapphira in verse 7. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, Peter, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? It's God who determines the outcome of both these individuals. Look with me at chapter 5, verse 5. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And then Acts chapter 5, look with me at verse 10. Immediately, Sapphira fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And then the story concludes in verse 11. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Let's open with a word of prayer. Lord, I pray that the depth and the seriousness of this passage might prick our hearts this morning. The seriousness of sin, the seriousness of disobedience, the great love that you have for the purity of the church, and your desire for each of us as believers to live lives that are above reproach. And we would ask this Sunday, as we would ask every Sunday, that you would readjust our thinking, that you would realign our thinking. That we would use this time that you have given to us in such a valuable way that we would better know your heart and better know your desire for us. And we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, can you imagine the phone calls after church? Wow. You will not believe what happened in church this morning. Now, if I had been called the following week by Peter, and he said, John and I want to come over to see you and Ann, I, I might decline, wouldn't you? <laughs> I, I think I'd rather not. I think it's my day to clean out my sock drawer or something, right? I would make up any excuse possible. 
Or I would at least say to Anne, Anne, if, he, if they ask us any questions, you make sure that we've got to make sure that we are very, very truthful, right? I mean, we'd be a little on edge, wouldn't we? I also thought the situation might not make for a very good church growth if we put it on the front sign. Two of our members lied, and the Lord struck them dead. And right after the line, it says, all who wish to come in are very welcome. Well, in all seriousness this morning, there's three things I see here in verses 3 and 4 which give us great warning in ministry in causing great harm to ministry and possibly even derailing ministry. Reading through Acts thus far, we get caught up in the excitement of the Lord's, what the Lord's doing and the excitement of the one another's and the blessings of being built up within a body of believers. And it's sort of like when you first get saved and you, in a, in a bit in a way, naively believe that everything in the church is great and it's rosy and it's wonderful and nothing is going to stop the ministry. And our kids in this church are just absolutely going to thrive and serve Christ and love the Lord. And everything is going to be a joy and everything's going to be easy. And who doesn't want that, right? Who doesn't want that? But there's three real enemies of the church. Look with me at Acts chapter 5, verse 3. Three enemies of the church. Number one is the sin of man. The sin of man. Acts chapter 5, verse 3. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. The first thing here is the sin of man, the sin of man. Notice the passage speaks about a lie. Verse 3, filled your heart to lie. Verse 4, you have not lied to man, but to God. The ugly truth is that sin lies within the believer. The ugly truth is that sin actually still lies within the believer. We would only fool ourselves to believe that there is neither temptation or sin inside the believer. This is not an excuse for the believer. This is not condoned at all in Scripture, obviously in the heart of the believer. But this is the reality of the human heart. The prophet Jeremiah wrote, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Here is the truth about the human heart. At our conversion, the Lord forgives us our sin. At Christ's death on the cross, His death is sufficient for our forgiveness. Never deceive yourselves into believing or thinking that somehow you have contributed to that forgiveness. Or that our sins somehow are, some of our sins are somehow forgivable and some of our sins are not forgivable. That kind of thinking does immeasurable disservice to the greatness of the sacrifice that's been made by Christ. When Christ died on the cross, he took the punishment, literal punishment, of every sin ever committed by every person who would ever believe. You didn't do that. Christ did that. 
Therefore, there is no unfinished business with God. There is no shortage of forgiveness with God. When I question the sufficiency of God's forgiveness in my heart, I vastly underestimate his love for you and I. And as, as God has done this on an eternal level, he now provides for us an example to forgive on a temporal, earthly level as we have been enormously forgiven by God. We too enormously forgive one another. The greatness of our sin, it is true, will cause us greater and greater hurt. It'll cause us greater and greater heartache in our lives and the lives of those we touch. But listen, our sin can never be so great that it cannot be forgiven by God. Why the need in church life for forgiveness? Because you and I are sinners. At least I know you are. I'm not sure about me. No, I'm just teasing. We all have problems. We all have weaknesses. We all have sin. I'm no great shakes. You can just, you need to ask Anne. You don't have to dig too deep in any of us to discover sin. But this is the greatness of the gospel. That sinners are eternally forgiven though we still struggle with sin in our life. And that sin, unchecked, becomes an enemy to the church. The second problem we have is that we are prone to resisting the work of the Holy Spirit. Number two there is the heart of man resisting the Spirit. The heart of man resisting the Spirit. I find it so interesting that the book of Acts is so full of the Holy Spirit. It hits you. I, I counted in the book of Acts alone, the Spirit is mentioned 67 times in the 28 chapters of, of, of Acts. And the influ influence of the Spirit is all through the book of Acts. The passage here in Acts chapter 5 clearly tells us that Ananias and Sapphira, number, or verse 3, lied against the Holy Spirit. In verse 9, she tested the Holy Spirit. It would seem to me from this passage that Ananias had the indwelling as believers of the Holy Spirit. And here as believers, they resist. And they test. And they lie to the very work of the Holy Spirit in their life. See, when you and I come to Christ and we are born again, our sin, as we have mentioned, is forgiven we have eternal life. That is a work of God. Therefore, there is no lack of perfection in that process. In other words, that process cannot be improved upon. You and I stand perfect in Christ. We could not stand any more perfect in Christ. If we did not stand perfect in Christ, we would not be accepted by the Father. There is no such thing as a half-forgiven Christian. There is no such thing as a half-perfected believer. It would be complete nonsense for us to believe that we have in some way contributed to that perfection that we receive in Christ alone. Some might believe that a good God 
If he exists, he'll reward good people. If they give it their best shot, that is not Christianity. Christianity is about forgiveness and about being made perfect in Christ. We are either perfected by Christ or we're not. And if we are not, we remain sinners and we remain condemned to hell. Understand there is nothing we can add to that perfection. Know that, believer. You are perfected by Christ alone and his life alone. And that perfection of the Christian will be realized when we die and we stand before the Lord someday and we are received by the Father on the merit of Christ alone. However, however, that standing is different in the day-to-day practical living out of the Christian life for you and I. When, yes, you and I are becoming more like Jesus Christ in our practical lives, our sanctification, it is a process of a deepening faith. We are growing when you and I, like Paul, we battle with sin and we battle with the willingness to yield to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. As the Spirit works within us, Our desire is to more and more yield to the Holy Spirit. And here in this story this morning, Ananias and Sapphira are convicted in their heart by the Holy Spirit and they choose to lie to the Holy Spirit. That term in verse 3, to lie, literally means to deceive oneself. In other words, the Christian knows something is true. The Christian knows something is right, and yet the truth does not influence the action. And therefore, the action of the Christian denies everything, denies everything that he knows in his heart to be true. Have you ever been there? Have you ever done something that you know, this denies who I am in Christ, and I know it? Last time we spoke about the work of the Spirit in our lives, the necessity to act upon the character of the Spirit. And we spoke of things such as love and patience and kindness. And when the character of the Spirit leads you and I to joy, we resist that. And we become bitter as believers. When the character of the Spirit leads us to forgiveness, we resist that. And we become unforgiving. When the character of the Spirit leads us to compassion, we resist that. And we lose a love for the unsaved. When the character of the Spirit leads us to love, yet we find ourselves at odds and division with other believers. When the character of the Spirit leads us to purity, we resist that. And we find ourselves falling to temptation and lust. These are all ways that you and I resist the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And in our story this morning, the temptation is pride. It's hypocrisy. It's a love of things which overshadows the convicting work of the Holy Spirit in the heart of Ananias and Sapphira. And therefore, when they are asked, you sold that piece of land and you gave it all to the Lord's work, The Spirit 
is ignored. It's resisted. The spirit is shut down in his heart, in her heart. And they respond, yeah, we did, Peter, we did. On one side, we have the fruit of the spirit. We have truth. We have humbleness, a humble heart. We have rightness. We have goodness. And what flows out? Sin, hypocrisy, and pride. Ananias, why did you choose to lie to the Holy Spirit? There's a third enemy of the church I see in this passage. It's the person of Satan, the person of Satan. He's the enemy who speaks within our heart. You know that? Satan. Verse 3, why has Satan filled your heart? The command in the scriptures is that we as believers are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18. Acts 2 verse 4, they were filled with the Spirit. Acts 2 or 4 verse 8, they were filled with the Spirit. Acts 4.31, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And yet in this passage, Satan himself is described as filling the heart. Imagine that. The lies, the deceit, the attraction of sin actually overshadows the work of the Spirit in the heart of a believer. When we are told to not resist the work of the Spirit, do not fight against the work of the Spirit, but we do. We do. And the result is not a vacuum, folks. It's not a neutral Christian. It's not just a Christian that can go out and do his gardening and enjoy his day. No, the Holy Spirit gets crowded out and the work of Satan jumps in. This is a spiritual battle, isn't it? This is not just a person getting up in the morning and I wonder what I'm going to do today. No, this is a spiritual battle between the work of the Spirit and the work of Satan. It's important for us that these are real to understand that these are real spiritual beings. These are real spiritual persons that we are dealing with. Ananias, responsible for his own sin, he makes a conscious choice to listen to a person, Satan, or to ignore a person, the Holy Spirit. Sin is real, isn't it? Satan is alive and well. They are both enemies of the church. And yet as believers, our success or our spiritual growth is so connected, it's so dependent upon your willingness and my willingness to yield to the work of the Spirit in your life. This is where the rubber meets the road for the Christian. This is where the Christian thrives or fails. How willing am I to be controlled by the work of the Spirit in my life? I must be careful with my understanding of what a Christian is. Yes, a Christian places his faith in Jesus Christ. 
Yes, the Christian receives from the Lord absolute eternal forgiveness. But also a Christian is to place his heart and life in the hands of the Holy Spirit. And I am not overstating the work of the Spirit in our lives here. By saying that we have everything, folks. We have everything we need to do the Christian life well. Our struggle is not a lack of equipping. For we have it all. (laughs) We have it all. Every one of us who knows Christ. It's not a lack of equipping. Our struggle is a lack of submission to the work of the Holy Spirit. Turn over your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Peter here is talking to believers. Look at middle of verse 1. To those who have attained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. It's Him alone, right? It's His righteousness that you and I are saved. But look at verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own excellence and glory, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. In closing, I'm going to leave you with three things that we need to remember. One, surprise, surprise, sin shows up in church. Why is there sin in church? Because church is full of sinners, right? (laughs) Aren't you glad you came this morning? Number two, John MacArthur commented on this chapter. He says, Satan even shows up in church some Sunday mornings. But number three, go to church. Don't be discouraged, be in church. We need so much the reminder of truth, don't we? The convicting words of the scriptures through the teachings and the convictions and the preaching and the wonderful music we heard this morning. Don't go to church out of habit. COVID maybe have revealed some who may have gone to church out of habit. Don't go to church out of duty. Go with the understanding that I need this for the nourishment of my soul. Anything less is just a hypocritical show like Ananias and Sapphira. Are you struggling with that this morning? Don't leave here before making that right with God. And if you need to speak to someone, you speak to someone. Let's pray. Lord, would you teach us to heed the work of the Spirit in our lives? May we understand the seriousness in which you deal with sin, the seriousness of the purity of the church and how you love the church. And Lord, would this passage this morning, would it awaken us to things in our own lives? 
May we understand that it's you alone who has brought us redemption. It's you alone who has forgiven us. You alone who has loved us and placed us in a, a place of belonging within a body of believers. And now as your children, might we live with a wonderful joy in the character and the blessing of the Holy Spirit. And may we not settle for anything less. May we never settle for sin when we can be filled with the joy of the Spirit. And might that be said of all of us, that the Lord would become our passion and that through the Spirit's power, we would joyfully live the Christian life for His glory and His excellence. And all God's people said, Amen.